general nerdery. So last time we introed Star War- Star Trek, I was like, did the space, the final frontier entry, and I was like, I'll do that. And I'm like, wait, fuck, I've done that. Uh, so I've been trying to think of other good Star Trek intros, and this is my admission that I don't have one. Okay. Uh, I thought about trying to sing the Enterprise theme song, do, but I'm not willing do, to do, do that to myself. So yeah. Do, do. Or classic Star Trek where... <laughs> Basically sounds like the beginning of a Led Zeppelin show. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler, and I'm putting on my hat, even though you guys can't see it. Just trust us. And in case you haven't picked it up by this point, we are a podcast about liking things. Woo, things. In this case, Star Trek Lower Decks, which I know I liked. I think you liked. You looked like you were liking it when I came in. But before that. Before that. What have you been ingesting this week? Got two things. Okay. One you're very aware of because you were playing it with me right before we started. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. We finished recording on Saturday. It's Monday now. So the Black Panther episode. And I sat down and played Tony Hawk. And then I came here early and was like, can I play some more Tony Hawk? (laughs) Uh, It's amazing how violent that game is without being a violent video game by any stretch of the imagination. And the thing that I forgot about it is the moment that you stop playing Tony Hawk and leave and enter into the real world, everything looks like a skate arena from Tony Hawk at that point. Like, I caught myself, you know, there's the Y not far from where you live, and I'm going, driving down, and I'm like, okay, I could jump onto the fence there and just grind there. this fence and then because that that's lead, how the real world works and then lead to this <laughs> jump which would put me up on the roof i'm like no i wouldn't <laughs> i've tried skateboarding i can't go down the street so tony hawk is putting dangerous fucking ideas in my mind that yes <laughs> that that and you don't automatically have ska playing behind you when which you do those just things. defeats the points uh <laughs> what else you got Hold on, I need to look at... Okay, so I know I was telling you about Harry Potter and how I'm listening to nothing but Harry Potter, and then I immediately started listening to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audible was like, hey, Zach, do you want this book about Gilgamesh called The Buried Book? It's free. And I'm like, I do like free things about Gilgamesh. <laughs> and what's interesting, I've talked about Gilgamesh here before. I think it was one of my recommendations. One of the oldest stories we have ever written, various versions of it are like 5,000 years old. The Epic of Gilgamesh, the poem we have about him, is about 4,000 years old. It's just obscenely awesome first hero story. This book is less about the epic itself, although it does go into that, and more about how the epic has affected history around it. Oh, okay. So like the first two, or the first like third of it is about the two people who are really responsible for finding the epic. Um... The Rasham, Rasam, who was the explorer who uncovered the library in Nineveh where they found it, and a guy named Smith, who was the one that translated it, and the weird fucking dude that those two people were. And then also it goes into uh, Assyria and the king that would have collected it and put it into the library, into the fall where the library was lost. Skipping forward, uh, it compares different versions of the Gilgamesh legend that we have and how it kind of evolved over time, Mm -hmm. and then how it affects things in the modern world and how people like Saddam Hussein were weirdly obsessed with Gilgamesh. Interesting. 
Yeah, it's uh, a lot of the stuff of archaeology and history of this story without going too deep into the story itself. So it's kind of the periphery of all of the ancient Assyrian and ancient Mesopotamian stuff that I've been just taking in like a crack addict audiobook was. Mm-hmm. Nice. I was trying to remember. Uh, it's not the fucking epic Gilgamesh, I don't think. I was trying to remember what what thing from that time, what story from that time period or mythology from that time period factored in a snow crash because it's been too long since I read it. But no, probably not Gilgamesh. I've read a couple things from that era. I have read poems of Anana, who was the earlier version of Ishtar, who was the earlier version of Aphrodite, so uh, goddess of love and war. And it's mostly, I have never read the word vulva so many times. And I was reading these out loud to Cece before bed, which made it very hard to not crack up. Uh, I've read Gilgamesh. And there was something else that I've read, but I don't remember what it was. Doesn't matter. Uh no, no matter at all. It holds up, like, all three of them hold up surprisingly well, considering that this is 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. Like, I know they've been changed a lot in the translation and stuff as they've been fixed, to, you know, fix our language. But it is still interesting what is still the same 4,000 years later, like, as a species, what is mm-hmm. still stuff we can connect to? And then also just the stuff where you're like, wait, you did what? <laughs> My my ingesting doesn't feel quite as fancy as reading about the impact of Gilgamesh. Or Look, I like 4,000-year-old things is really what it is. It automatically makes it sound fancier than it is. I uh, I got caught up on The Boys, the first four episodes of Very season two. different. Very different. Uh, which ties into the episode today, kind of. Uh, <laughs> and... I got caught up. I had fallen a couple weeks behind, and now I am a day behind because the new episode came out yesterday and I haven't watched it yet, but I did get caught up on Lovecraft Country, Ooh. which is still going amazingly well. I hear it's well. just fucking masterpiece. Holy cow. They gave us, like, a Indiana Jones episode, basically. It was amazing. Literally, the only people I've seen give it a bad review was a Lovecraft fan group, and they were mostly pissed about it talks about white people being racist. And I'm like, oh, you're one of those fan groups that's not ready to discuss your people. <laughs> the, um, the guy you're fanning. God, that reminds me. that <laughs> Mentioning that combined with what we just talked about a couple days ago, I'm uh, a member on, of one of the bigger Dune fan groups on Facebook. Oh, that could go very wrong. And there was, well, no, that one's, that's a really good group. Oh, good. But this week has all been making fun of the fact that in, in the wake of this new sequel, a new Dune fan group tried to arise on on Facebook <laughs> that was like a right wing Dune fan group. Oh boy! And we've it. The Didn't. the page has just been making fun of them, and I think they're they're <laughs> faltering already. And yeah, this happens. Somebody pointed out that they'd been around, that they've been in the group and watched these things long enough that this has tri- been tried like three or four times, and every time it's like, guys, uh, when it comes down to it, Dune's a bit leftist. Yeah, it's imperfect leftist, but it really does like. Mm-hmm. It's not pro-fascism by any stretch of the imagination. No. Uh, oh, thinking of Lovecraft, though, I did pick up... I haven't started it yet, but in the Audible giving me free shit, because they used to do, like, monthly deal, get two mm-hmm. of these for free, and now they're just like, 
we don't feel like doing that work. Here's just a list of free things to pick from, which is actually better for me. Um, I got a collection of short stories by Clark Ashton Smith. Oh, okay. Who, if you don't know, which I did not know, or like I'd heard the name, but I wasn't really aware of who he was. He was one of the big three along or along with H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard of Conan fame of the writers for Weird Tales. They were like the top of their game when it came to sword and sorcery and evil monsters from beyond time yep. sort of fiction. That's nice. I'm very much looking forward to it. Hell yeah. I would be too. Ooh, that's cool. Um... And actually, me watching Lovecraft Country ties into the, some of the little bit of news I have. The Langston League, which is an educational organization that creates study materials with pop culture relevance, is putting out a syllabus for every Lovecraft Country episode. Oh, that's cool. So I'm actually going to start checking those out and seeing like what different rec- reading recommendations pop up based on it. And... Uh, I think I think this is sort of going to be me starting to get a little bit more into what I guess is being called a little bit as a racecraft, <laughs> which is the the more reclamation of sort of the Lovecraftian works and um, the people don't like works. there's value in his writings, but we we got to deal with some of the mm-hmm. invisible elephants and sort of like it, it crossed the the pulp from all mm-hmm. of that era, really. No, that's great. I, as I said, I love pulp. Robert E. Howard's one of my favorite writers. But every once in a while, there's a thing that goes, oh boy. So I think that's going to be something I'm going to start going through as I, cool. as I also try to keep up with the show and and see what they're actually all doing with that. I haven't checked it out much yet, but I wanted to make sure to bring it up. That could be a fun episode to do. Like, so you want to enjoy this, but not deal with the racist crap? Yeah. Other than that, uh, Light news, news Day, which I got uh, also tying into Lovecraft Country, uh, Jonathan Majors, uh, who plays the lead of Atticus in that show, uh, is currently rumored to be tapped as King the Conqueror for Ant-Man 3. Interesting. One, putting King against Ant-Man. <laughs> Feels soup's fucking rude to my boy King there. <laughs> He's one of the strongest Avengers films. He's such a dickbag. I don't know why I called him my boy. I am not... Like, I'm a fan of him as a villain, but I would hate him. That's the that's the big thing from just today, actually. If anybody was worried, uh, especially with it being switched over to HBO Max and being left off on a crazy cliffhanger, Doom Patrol has been officially picked up for season three on HBO Max. Nice. Do we know if Harley Quinn is? Not for sure yet. Okay. Honestly, if it doesn't, which would be super sad. It ends on a pretty good point. It ends at a good point. So. No, I just really like Harley Quinn. Sorry. But also Doom Patrol. Great. It's still on my list of fucking hell, Zach. Just sit down and watch it. I think you're going to like it. It's the most emotional Doom Patrol. It's still weird. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. One of the, possibly the only weakness of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run was... uh, It's so heady, it's hard to get into the emotions. Yeah, it made it hard for me to care about the characters. And I'm a Robot Man fan, so like, I really want to care about the characters. I'm one of the only people in the world that can say they're a, a Robot Man fan. 
That's awesome. Fucking Brendan Fraser, too. I, as a robot it's man. such a good casting. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah, that made me super happy because Doom Patrol has been one of my favorite things for the past couple of years. So, yes. And the other thing I... I was going to bring it up bring it up in a completely different way and then there was an announcement just like an hour and a half ago. Oh Jesus. But I was just going to ask you this isn't necessarily a news item but we both play this and I was getting curious what you thought um we hadn't had any news on uh Mega Pidgeot introduction in Pokemon Go. I heard they were releasing that. So what it was supposed to be they've introduced the Mega Raids. Which and then, Pokemon fans have been weirdly angry about, but... And that's why I thought it was going to be an interesting discussion, because uh, the Mega Raids have dropped, and they are not popular. So for those of you who don't play Pokemon Go, or for those of you who do, but just haven't figured this out, um, Mega Raids are from originally from Pokemon X and Y. They... Uh, or Mega Evolution in that one. They evolve your Pokemon one stage further, depending on the Pokemon, like uh, Venusaur, Charmeleon, Blastoise, Pidgeot, yeah, Houndoom, Gengar. Charizard has four X and Y. Charizard, yep. And it kind of digivolves them because they don't stay at that level. They just, like, for they now. Pop up, yeah, they pop up for, like, a battle, and then they're done for. It's never a thing that's super intrigued me, because, again, if I want to watch something Digivolve, I'll go watch Digimon. But, cool. The last several games have taken risks of, let's try new things with, like, evolution and stuff, which I think is a smart idea on Pokemon's part. Um, the way that they're doing it in Pokemon Go is you acquire a new form of... It's, it's a different candy. Yeah, Mega Candy or mega something. Mega Candy, mega whatever. We're just going to call it that. It's typed to the Pokemon. And you pay out the wazoo the first time you Mega Evolve that Pokemon, but after that, it gets way cheaper. So, for example, Venusaur takes 200 Mega Candy to evolve it to Mega Venusaur. Also, I just don't like saying Mega this often. Yeah, like me either. But then after that, it costs, I have no idea what, but like... 50, like 20 or 20 40 or something. Or something. Yeah. Something like, uh, I know that... Be, well, they just had to change the... The outcry was enough right at the beginning that they already have changed the costs once and lowered it. The thing is, they're pricey as balls, so it takes a whole lot of work to temporarily evolve your Pokemon for, like, an hour. Like, it... it In a game where the main draw is more on the collecting side. Yeah, you're not really... The game doesn't play the same way as, like, the handhelds. Pokemon Go is not high-stakes octane action. It's wandering around and being doofy outside. So it doesn't... It. I, I've done a few of them. I haven't mega-evolved anything yet. I'm going to, because I'm a sucker. But uh, it doesn't really fit with the feel of the game in any way. So here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, they ran like a week-long event where if there was 2 million Mega Raids, we would unlock Mega Pidgeot in the Mega Raids, which should have went into effect. And uh, all the other times on like community days and shit when they have these... 2 million this, we just blow it out of the water. We blow it out of the water and you get like five different fucking Mm -hmm. messages in-game saying, way to go, you did this. And you're like, yay, I guess we accomplished something. It, basically, you know about it. Thank you, Tchotchkes, yes. 
This time there was a giant outcry about Mega Raids, and they didn't say anything. Well, because I don't think anyone got it. For an entire week after it was over. If that's the case, that would be the first time the community did not accomplish one of those challenges. And do you think that they didn't say anything because we didn't get it? Or because they were already had um, Pidgey, uh, Pidgey moveset moves planned uh, based on the upcoming PvP season? We knew... We, we made it very clear. I say we. I haven't said anything about this other than this. I don't really care too much. Yeah. Uh, they made it very clear, very fast, that this was not happy. And they did, I don't know, make a blog post or something that I read where they're like, we hear what you're saying. It's fair critique. It's going to take us a while to fix it because we're figuring out the balances and stuff. Like, be patient. And now they're releasing more stuff and they've already dropped the prices. So I don't know what's happening here see this i was originally going to bring this up because we hadn't heard anything and then finally like literally an hour and a half ago they're like mega pidgeot being added to raids like a week after the event was already done i would have really just rather they gave it a fourth evolution for those and make them cost just so much candy that's fine you know most of them aren't super relevant in the meta right now anyway, so giving them the fourth evolution would just maybe put them back up in the ranks again. Would put them more... make them more relevant again. Uh, it would... they look cool, so that'd be nice, and it would give me more reason to try for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I said, make it expensive. It's a hundred candy to evolve a Ivysaur to a Venusaur. Make it 400 like Gyarados to go from Venusaur to Mega Venusaur. Yeah. I'd do it. I'd do it. And give me a reason to go after the little fucking Bulbasaurs, because otherwise they're almost always red circles, and I don't give a shit. Like <laughs> I always catch them, but that's because I have, like, four Venusaurs. <laughs> but it would be nice to, you know, have a nicer one. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I just thought it was interesting that this might have been the first time the community did not achieve one of those goals. Yeah, usually, which makes me laugh, because my... Dad found out I was playing Pokemon Go, and he goes, people still play that? And that was like two years ago. But anytime they're like, all right, if we can get two million, which sounds insane, and then they achieve it in the space of like Hours. an hour and a half. Yeah. Like millions of people still play that game worldwide for some reason. I say for some reason, as someone who plays and has played within the last four hours. Dude, I was, yeah, I was doing a fucking five-star raid. I was doing a mega raid. Not like this morning. Did a raid yesterday where CC and I were the only ones that showed up, but eight people from across the country were all in on this same raid since you can invite people. Mm-hmm. And like trying to deal with the absolute horror show that is dealing with lag and trying to text people and trying to have a Pokemon fight <laughs> at the same time. It was awful, but I caught that goddamn Chrysalia and that's nice. what's important. <sighs> I've caught two Chrysalia, and they're both only two stars, and it's pissing me off. I was, like, the only one in that group to catch it, but it's three stars, so fuck yeah. Oh, it's pissing me off. <laughs> and then I I didn't even want to do a fucking Mega Raid, but they had a research attached to it. Do so a Mega Raid. I was like, okay, you fucking got me. I'll go do a fucking Mega Raid. Whatever. I still got, <laughs> got something for it. Some yeah. rare candies and shit. Anyway, uh, that's all I got. That's news. That's the news. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll go 
Not to the Enterprise, not to Voyager, not to Deep Space Nine, or any place that remotely matters. We're going to visit the lower decks of the Cerritos. Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. So, Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek's ninth TV show, and his second attempt at animated series. Yeah. I guess to start off, what did you think? I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was really curious because I know I really liked it, but I'm also that Star Trek fan, as we've discussed. I was curious how it was going to land for people outside of me. No, I really liked it. I thought it was really funny. Um, there's, I mean, there's even Star, even not being a big Star Trek fan, they use jokes that even I could pick up on. I am curious a little bit. I'll, I'll ask you some things here later on. The but like, references are insane. No, I fucking dug it. I go in a little bit biased because Tawny knew some. Yeah, you were already digging. I'm like, uh, she's already been killing it on Space Force, and I listen to her every week on Yo's This Racist. So it, her being one of the biggest fucking space badasses of all time makes me really happy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I fucking dug it. So for those of you who haven't tried this show, which is probably a lot of people because it's on CBS All Access and it only came out less than two months ago. First season isn't even done. We're just yep. talking about it because fuck it, we want to. Six episodes are in by this point. Mm -hmm. uh, the Star Trek Lower Decks is based off an episode from season six or seven of Next Generation that followed the like three of the lower ranking people aboard the ship. This takes it even farther because it's not the three lowest ranking people on the Enterprise. I just bumped a table and made all sorts of noise. Uh, it is the three lowest-ranking people on the least important ship in Starfleet's entire fleet. USS Cerritos specializes in second contact. They're the ones that show up and sign the paperwork after the Enterprise has done everything they do. And they just make sure that they get, like, the, the name of the alien species correct. <laughs> um... And you do meet the bridge crew. They all, we haven't had time to meet a ton of them, but the like three main ones all have very dominant personalities. It is, there's a real Star Trek thing happening like every episode, but we're not seeing it through the point of view of the captain. We're seeing it from the point of view of four ensigns. So I guess not the lowest ranking, but the lowest ranking officers on board any ship. Mm-hmm. If, with a premise like that, I was curious how close to Red Dwarf it would end up being. The answer is surprisingly not. Right. I. So here's the biggest difference that I noticed. They're actually good at their jobs. Yes. They're still Starfleet, which is part of the reason why I think this show works. Um, it is a parody of Star Trek in the Star Trek universe. It's kind of everything the Orville wanted to be. And I still like what the Orville ends up being. I don't dislike the Orville, but... But this feels more like what the Orville was described as This being. is what we were promised, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it helps that it's allowed to be Star Trek, and it doesn't just be Star... It lives in Star Trek. Like, it feels visually like one of the shows from the 90s. Yeah, it does. The, the, the 
background and the style is all very reminiscent of next gen. The, the Cerritos was literally designed looking at the galaxy class, like what the enterprise mm-hmm. D was from next gen and stealing parts of it to get mm. the right feel. Um, it's a mix between the Miranda class, which is from Star Trek two. It's the one con steals. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's basically it like the enterprises saucer section with a couple of cells attached mixed with the enterprise D the galaxy class. So uh, I believe they're calling it a California class. I did not remember that. So I'm very impressed. Cerritos, California. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, it's actually a really cool-looking ship. I dig the ship. A little impractical, but a really cool. I actually kind of dig it quite a bit. I kind of want to get, like, a little Cerritos to hang out in oh, here yeah. with us. I'm sure they'll be making them. Uh, one place where it did kind of connect to Red Dwarf, and I'm not going to just say jokes, but this one makes me laugh anytime I think about it, is when you first meet one of the people, they're trying to fix one of the replicators that's broken, and it keeps just saying banana hot and launching bananas at people. Mm-hmm. That felt like the opening scene of Red Dwarf to me, where they're trying to fix the food Talkie dispensers. Toast. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the food dispensers. Uh, there was one other thing that I thought was a little <laughs> shout out, but I can't fucking remember what it is now. I suppose we should go into the characters. So, who who do we want to do first then? <laughs> Who do you want to talk about first? Let's kind of just go in the rate uh, in the ranking that we met them. So first we would meet Brad Boimler. Bradward. Who is the only one of these who I have their first name down so far. I mean, again, we're only six episodes in, and it was a big joke of one episode why he's Bradward. There's Bradleys, there's Bradwards. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of the kind of rimmer, but doesn't suck. He's kind of the definition of the mediocre white guy that really wants to go farther in life. And that's a little unfair of me, and it's a little not unfair of me at all. Boimler is why this ties into what I've been ingesting this week anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, He's voiced by Jack Quaid, who plays Huey on The Boys. Ah, okay. I was wondering how that connected. Um, What I didn't realize was being Jack Quaid and only being 28 years old is that he's fucking the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, that's going to make me relook Boimler a little bit, but good for him. Um, he's been fantastic on The Boys, and that it was kind of a little mind-blowing bit for me uh, when I was watching Lower Decks, and I was watching episode two, and I'm like, that voice sounds weirdly that's familiar. Really, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just pay attention next time the credits roll around. And I'm like, Jack Quaid? Why do I know the name Jack? And then I put it together what I'd watched just four episodes oh of. Oh, my God. And I was like, <gasps> Pity Huey. Ensign Boimler is, as I said, he's fine. Um, I'm a little tired of the character trope of the... Rule low- stickler. <laughs> the rule stickler white guy that really desperately wants to be captain is like the main character. Like we've seen even beyond Star Trek, so many variations of this character that he just doesn't stick out to me that much. I need, I need something to humanize him a little bit to make him a little more interesting to me. I feel like he's start as he's starting to get along with uh, Mariner more. He is I, improving. He is improving. I will definitely say he's improving as the season goes on. Because those first couple episodes, they were a little bit more at each other's throats. 
And they're also, like, the character is also good. He's just the weakest of the four, I think. But mm-hmm. he kind of is billed as the main one. Although, luckily, he's not really played as the main one. Like, No, the main, I mean, I just said her name. Should yeah. we just... Let's move on to Mariner. Beckett Mariner. Thank you. I just said I do not know her first name. Uh, Her mom says it a couple times. That's it. Beckett Mariner is the member of the crew that doesn't look up to the officers, doesn't give a shit about the officers. Part of that is she was an officer and got demoted down to the lower level because she breaks too many stupid rules. She's extremely capable Starfleet, though, although she does steal a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. She is just, like, any any portion of what actually needs to be done Starfleet-y, she can do. She just doesn't give a shit. She kind of reminds me of Ensign Rowe from Next Gen, who was a Starfleet officer that had problems with authority, so was super willing to, like, challenge people and come up with different solutions and clash with the uh, higher-ranking officers. But also, oh, spoiler, uh, turns out that her mother is the captain of the Cerritos and her father is an admiral. She straight up was, like, set up to be, you know, like, a Riker. Mm-hmm. And instead is too much of a sass monster. And just doesn't care for how long the fucking bureaucracy of the Federation mm-hmm. can take to get some things done. When she's like, it, look, it's right here. All we have to do is do this right now, and it's finished. It's an interesting thing, and I'm hoping that they... So far, she's always been right. Mm-hmm. Anytime. I want her to not be right a couple of times. I want her to really get challenged in a kind of morality way that Star Trek is so good at doing. Because she has a point, but also sometimes there's a reason that Starfleet is so careful about doing things. Like, I imagine she's going to go up against the Prime Directive much more significantly than she has so far, and that would be a good challenge episode. Uh, a running gag for her is that she loves the brig, so it's hard to, like, they're like, we'll demote you, and I'm like, she's one of the lowest-ranking people on the ship. There's nowhere else to demote her. <laughs> Put her in the brig. She loves the brig. She does so well in the brig. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't realize Tani was going to be killing it like this in this show. And you were pretty confident in how she was going to do, but this is... Yeah. Um, She's fun because of the four, she's one of the ones that has the most joy in what Starfleet's doing. But her joy comes from a exploration point that the others don't. Like, Boimler wants to be captain. He believes in the ideals and morality of Starfleet. But he forgets to enjoy what he is doing. The other two get really caught up in the minutia of, like, weird space spaceship stuff in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. We'll get to them in just a moment. She's the one that's like, yeah, let's go look at these other planets and meet these other species. And I'll get along with them really well and, like, know how to deal with stuff without... She would drive Picard up a wall. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm wondering how much with her is it it's just going to be a gag all the shit that she's done in the past or if we're ever actually going to touch on some of the shit because there's been what like five or six different ships but then like she was doing gray ops missions and that's how she met the fucking Klingon guy and uh, she was on Deep Space Nine at one point and they, they show that in a flashback although I think she was just hanging out yeah um, 
She has done multiple first contacts. She was in a Klingon prison at one point, which could connect to the Grey Ops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... She's obvious a total badass. <laughs> yeah. I think that... I don't... I bet we'll see more of it. I don't think it'll be too much of a huge storyline bit. But just... She's supposed to be, at least at this stage... She'd be the ideal Starfleet officer if she wasn't eternally determined to stick her uh, thumb in the eye of every person who outranks her, ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. Uh, who'd we want to go to next? Tendi would be the next person that we met. All right, Devana Tendi. Who is the actress who plays her? Uh, Noelle Wells. She's very good. I don't think I know her from anything else. Uh, she was in a. She was on SNL for a season. Yeah, some other stuff here and there. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah, she did, um, I think, a, quite a bit of Master of None on Netflix. I did watch all that, and I still have, I'm having a hard time placing her, but I, I, I even know that she was on multiple episodes, and so I feel really fucking bad. But <laughs> I like her in this. She plays Tendi, who is the only alien of the main four. She is an Orion who... Star Trek is infamous for the Orion slave women. They appear in, like, one, maybe two episodes of the original series, but... The, I, the words Orion slave woman came to like just define the Orion people have been obsessed with it since. So it was nice to see, as a Star Trek fan, an Orion that, like, she's portrayed as cute, but she's not sexualized, really. Mm-hmm. She is straight out of the Academy, has not served on any ship. Everyone else has served it for at least, like, a year or two on every other ship. She is so... so Shiny, squeaky, new, that, like... Everything still excites her. Yes. Which is great. Although some things would obviously excite her anyway, because she's a giant nerd. Yeah. Uh, she is... Everyone... She has to have everyone like her. Which is sometimes an overused trait, but she does it well, and it's not, like, her only defining character personality. She's excited to do everything... And she's, in a lot of ways, the audience voice to be the person that's like, wait, why is this thing happening? Mm -hmm. And she's good at that. There hasn't been a ton of development for her as a character yet, but I think more of it will come in time. Uh, and then uh, Eugene Cordero as Sam Rutherford. Rutherford might be my favorite character on this show so far. For me, I think the biggest misstep is of the show has been that other than the first episode, they've barely touched on the fact that uh, he's newly adjusting to the cyborg implant. Yes. So Rutherford is a cyborg, just recently got a Vulcan implant, and it keeps trying to suppress, in the first episode, keeps trying to suppress his emotions. Mm -hmm. So he'll be going around, and he's kind of a, he's a giant dork. Let's be really honest. He's got a very Geordie LaForge vibe of he's just, Happy to be hanging out, working on his stuff in engineering, doing whatever geeky build thing. He's the Scotty. He's the Miles O'Brien. He's the Geordie. Uh, but his thing, his cybernetic implant, trying to suppress emotions. So in the first one, he'll start to get nervous about something or laugh at something and then suddenly like glitch out and pop up to like, that is illogical. I wish they played with the fact that his implants are new more, because it's basically only that first episode, and I thought that was really interesting to, to actually see 
I'm hoping there will be more. I don't know how long the series is. I'm assuming it's going to be 10 to 15 episodes. Uh, I believe 10 episodes for a season. I would love a full 24, like classic Star Trek, uh, just so we would have more time with mm -hmm. all of them. I mean, that's the main four. How much do we want to touch on the other characters, or do we want to touch more on some of what's actually happened on the show? Uh, real fast, on the three that we have met, there is the captain, who is Mariner's mom. Yeah, uh, Don Lewis is Captain Carol Freeman. She is a captain that is aware that she is on the most useless ship on the fleet and wants to be more important. Seems like a capable captain, but just kind of in a rut. There's the first officer. Uh, Jerry O'Connell as Jack Ransom, who is... Uh, <laughs> Chris Pine Kirk mixed with Riker. Yep, there's a lot of Riker. There's a lot of the Chris Pine Kirk. It, he does make me think more than anything else that this show does a really good job of blending aspects of original series Star Trek and 90s Star Trek in a way that 90s Star Trek never really did. Like, they were like, yep, we'll bring in a character every once in a while, and we're totally, but we have a completely different feel. Maybe just a touch Zap brand again. Yeah, he's way more capable than Way Zap more capable. I'll give him yeah. that. Like, he's... Tons more capable. He's got a ton of fucking ego in the same way. He is, you know, the first officer on a Starfleet vessel. That means he's good and he knows he's good. Uh, and he's very excited to go out and do Starfleet's mission. But it's very much that he is going to go do Starfleet's mission. Mm-hmm. Then the only other senior officer we see... Oh, no, there's two more. There's Shax, the Bajoran security officer. Oh, God, I've never said this guy's last name out loud before. Let me see if I can get this right. Uh, Fred Tatashior. Hmm. Uh, Shax sort of is... Have you ever seen that supercut video that someone made of every time Picard tells Worf no? I've never watched that, but that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> no, Mr. Worf. No, 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 Mr. Worf. Because Worf is told no almost every time. Anytime Worf wants to do something, everyone's like, no, buddy. At least in Next Gen. In DS9, he's allowed to kick a lot more ass. But I feel like Shax is kind of that supercut put into a character. He just desperately wants to do cool security things. All the time. And because he's on the least important ship on the fleet, on a Starfleet fleet, which is all about, you know, peaceful exploration, he never gets to target the warp core or launch the warp core <laughs> or shoot something or anything. Uh, I do want to point out with uh, Tatashior that the rest of the voice cast for this show are kind of all just actors that they liked the voices of, because, like, that's not really Jack Wade putting on a voice. I, no, that's just Jack Wade being Jack Wade. That's not really Tawny putting on a voice. That's... A little bit, but not much, you know. Uh, Tatash Yor is like, he is mainly a voice actor. And so you have heard him in a shit ton of things. He is our current Yosemite Sam. Uh, he's been Hulk in a shit ton of things. Uh, he's Qui-Gon on the Clone Wars. Oh, wow. Um, on Robot Chicken. <laughs> he's who they uh, tap to do Garfield, uh, Shatner, Kirk, Sean Connery, Walken, Spock, McCoy. Okay, so he's done a lot of this. Um, it does kind of make me think of... I've read a lot about traditional voice actors who are driven nuts when they do celebrity voice actor casting. You know, let's put 
Robin Williams is the genie where it really started off. Let's let's cast this based off of this actor who has no voice acting experience necessarily. Sometimes they work out great, sometimes they don't. I know it drives voice actors nuts who have trained for years to act Through with their, their voice. voice. Yeah. And then they're losing out the like the good big roles because they hired Kaylee Cuco to play Harley Quinn. And she kicks ass as Harley Quinn, but I know, and I'm always I'm always iffy about it at first when I see non uh, primary voice actors cast in roles because uh, I do really respect and really like like voice actor voice mm-hmm. actors, but I mean, like you said, the one that kicked it off was Aladdin. That's a case where the role was written with him in mind, like no one else could have pulled it off. No, and Robin Williams absolutely killed it as the genie. Like, let's uh, yeah. Lie. So I mean, it really depends on the intent behind it and how much they, and I think even with bad intent behind it, sometimes these actors are good enough to pull it off. Yeah. I do want to say that they're almost, they're always talented. So I'll say all of these actors, I don't have any of a problem. I don't have any problems with them as voice actors. Again, Quaid might be the weakest. I'm just being mean to Brad Boimler, but he's the weakest on a show that I really like. So you're still doing good. Like, and listening to him so much this weekend with getting caught up on the boys and watching all these episodes twice. And I'm imagining wildly different characters. Pretty, pretty different characters. Um, I do say of the two performances, this is the weaker one. He's better on the boys than he. I can see it. It makes sense. But not to put, I mean, I fucking love the show. So like he's doing great. And I, I think he's getting better as he goes on. And, um, him and fucking Tawny's character. There's a, especially by the sixth episode, they're starting to develop a really good rapport. So how do we want to talk about, as we said, we've watched the first six episodes. All right. So I kind of had, I made a couple notes on some of the episodes, but there's also a couple things that I was just wondering and that I was going to kind of ask you as being someone who knows Star Trek far more than me. Cool. If you got this, you guide me along on this next stage of our adventure, my friend. So we'll just sort of hit episode by episode one. One of the big things that ends up happening is uh, Jack Ransom accidentally carries the fucking zombie virus or whatever it is, the rage virus, yeah, onto the ship. Now I've watched a good bit of Star Trek, and it tends to focus in on some characters that mostly hang out up on the bridge away from the shit, and so. They get into some shit sometimes, and I was kind of curious, how often really is it intimated that that kind of bullshit is going on in the background? Um, it's not intimated at all, really, that it's, like, there's constantly stuff happening, but if you watch that show, clearly weird shit is happening every other week, particularly on the original series where their concepts were a lot more, someone's invaded the ship, Mm-hmm. weird action scenes as opposed to next gen that was very very uh, cerebral uh, and it kind of just became Starfleet's reputation as opposed to a thing they talked about that just there's always something fucking weird going down in a later episode they're talking about the Enterprise and they're like geez save some unknown worlds for the rest of us like that felt very it, it's kind of this show connects with the, how the fans view the Federation in a way that no other show I've seen does. Like, 
Mm. Picard and Disco have a lot more about like some of the failures of the Federation. Next Gen and Voyager were a lot more about like, and original series were a lot more about like the ideals of the Federation. This one is less worried about that and more just, man, working for Starfleet has to be a fucking trip. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a good way to look at it. I don't know. Honestly, that first episode is just kind of a good introduction to the yep, characters. It just. Nothing world-ending happens, but you get a lot of... You get good jokes, and you get good definition of who these people are going forward. Second episode is the uh, transporting uh, the Klingon general, Corin. I was excited for this as a big Klingon fan. Uh, and they get all fucking drunk on the ship and get lost on the planet and uh, have all sorts of fucking fun. <laughs> There's a throwaway joke at the beginning... If I was a bigger fan of the series, would have I would I have gotten the fact that Castro was on the Enterprise? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think he's I, a main one. I just the Enterprise. Like the Enterprise is the best of the best. So if someone served on the Enterprise, then yeah, man. Uh oh, a joke from the very first scene where she's given a batleth and she's mentioned some old bald guy gave it to me. That might be the High Chancellor of the entire Klingon Empire. That might be Martok from Deep Space Nine. Like, because weird, not uh, one-eyed Klingon is what it was, not bald. Mm. Weird one-eyed Klingon, that's Martok for you. The greatest Klingon that ever lived, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Who would super get drunk and give away a batleth to somebody, being like, ah, oh, <laughs> perfect. The Klingon himself was kind of a lame from that but i enjoyed like i thought the costume design was good i always like it when they give just a little bit of red to the klingons it gives them a mm. little the the costume looks much stronger to me um i really love that there is a little Quonos on on various planets there's just like klingon town oh yeah yeah that's fun um i i just i really liked the ongoing joke in this episode of with rutherford changing careers to ha mm. just to have time to hang out with um tendy yeah tendy i loved <laughs> because it's fucking starfleet that all the different divisions are totally supportive of his move that's the thing i was going to mention like <laughs> you're expecting when he decides rutherford awkwardly is like trying different departments on the ship because on us in starfleet there's command engineering security and they have science and medical is the same thing here, but in other versions, they are separate. Mm -hmm. But either way, in this case, Simon. Simon. Yeah. He's been working as an engineer. He's like the best engineer they have, if even if not the main engineer. And he, he's now so he's going to leave and you expect it to be like a big blow up. And everyone's like, yeah, man, find your truth. <laughs> and then any other one they try, he'll be good at it or he'll be good at part of it. And they'll be like... You're really good at this, but this part's not working. You should keep looking. But, like, that was great, man. Or, like... And then whenever he announces he's leaving, they're all like, yeah, no, do what you have to do. Yeah, dude. Like, you know, the, the ones that are excited to keep him, he's like, no, I need to go back to engineering, which is no one believed he was going to stay in one of the other groups. Um, they were like, yeah, there's nothing better than being true to yourself. Like... That's the bit of Star Trek, and I've really liked Disco and what I've seen at Picard, mm -hmm. but that's the bit of Star Trek that I've missed. I've missed the optimism and the the characters that are allowed to genuinely like one another. Like, I love sassy quipping at each other. 
That's great. That's my, I mean, Spider-Man's one of my favorite characters. That's my bread and butter. But the genuineness of when Starfleet people like each other, I have always, it makes me feel good. The, stereotypical Ferengi almost had me fucking rolling. Real funny. Part of me wondered in the part of me that super overthinks this, if getting your buddy to play the like racist caricature of their own species as you a favor. Man. Uh, I, I wonder, like, part of me was like, man, he should have called her out being like, really? Um, but it was also funny as hell. I, it, I love hate the Ferengi. So watching them be like full on straight crafty villainous Ferengi from next gen when they were still trying to make them legitimately threatening mm -hmm. and it didn't work at all. I don't know if is, I've ever felt threatened by a Ferengi. No, it it's not threatening when, um, they're first mentioned in the very first episode of Next Gen, and they mentioned them a few times. And they were supposed to be like the new Klingons, the like mm. new dangerous enemy. But they're not threatening, and they're actively annoying and terrible. <laughs> he was even doing the hand thing. Yes. The, <laughs> they have this weird, like, you know, they're kind of like Bond villain, like fingers. I'm trying to replicate it, and you can't see me, but like tapping your fingers together. And they're supposed to be Craven, and they were supposed to be threatening, and it didn't work at all. So when they relaunched DS9, because they'd done a little bit to be like, all right, they're not threatening, but they're traitors. They're and they're not to be trusted. Like they, uh, so when they did DS9, they decided to do the Ferengi, but they're like, we're gonna do them right, and made a species that was just genuinely obsessed with profits, mm. and it made them way more interesting. But this was definitely a reference towards like. First appearance for Ranky. Just, oh my god. Um. <laughs> oh, Ryza is a planet, is a pleasure planet they mentioned several times. Uh, and it does come up in previous series. And they mention, they're like, this man wants Jambaran. Mm -hmm. They never mention what that is. But it's a running joke in one of the episodes that Captain Picard is forced to take a vacation. Okay. And he does not want to, but they're like, no, you have to take a vacation. You're going to Ryza. And Riker is like, hey, can you pick me up this this statue? And he's like, yeah, sure, dude, whatever. And like, okay. Mm -hmm. And people keep interrupting him, Picard, because he's got the statue with him because he picked it up for Riker. And he's trying to read. And like attractive women and attractive men, and they don't really make it sound sexual in that one, but it totally would have been, are like popping up to Picard being like, hey there can I get you anything? And he's like, no, I just want to read what's going on. <laughs> and finally it is revealed that the statue that Riker had him grab is uh, a signal that you are looking for Jamaharan. And it's not explained what it is other than it is super obviously crazy vacation sex. Nice. Which wildly inappropriate of Picard to get his, captain his superior officer to like prank him like that but also it was a good gag and picard got to hook up with basically laura croft in that episode oh shit way to go picard yeah i was gonna say that also thought it was funny that fucking um mariner was even telling the frangie like oh you guys are going to risa oh that's awesome you know what you should try <laughs> jamal run yeah so that's why i want to mention they as i said they've never really explained what it is because star trek is 
generally PG. Mm -hmm. But you get the sense that Jamaharan is not. No, no. That's the dirty shit. (laughs) Uh, Third episode. Oh, third episode's Buffer Time. Buffer Time, I think, can be traced to a single line from a single episode. Well, not a single line, but it's a a, a running theme with Spot or uh, with Scotty, but it definitely comes up a lot in a single episode. Scotty is known as a miracle worker. He is infamous for getting everything done in under the amount of time that is predicted. But it's revealed a few times that that's because Scotty lies through his teeth. If he tells you it takes an hour to get done. It really only takes 10 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the idea that no one knows how long it's going to take him to do it. And this way he can protect his reputation as an insanely capable engineer. And uh, there's an episode of Next Gen where Scotty's in it. And he's basically making fun of Jordy because Jordy's like, oh, man, I promised the captain I'd have this done in an hour. And he's like, how long did it really take? And Jordy's, you know, an hour. What's wrong with you? Uh, so buffer time is basically the idea that all of Starfleet, or at least all of the Cerritos, just lies through their teeth, pads how long everything is going to take. Sends the ship into chaos. I don't even remember what they were trying to get done. I'm reading the, the episode description. I, I don't even care what they were trying to get done. The uh, ship descends into chaos because everything's put on the fucking schedule. They had to... I mean, one, just, yeah, every there's too many things going on in a day now because they're not getting that, like, time to sit down and relax time. Boimler's in heaven. Boimler's in heaven. Everyone else is literally losing their minds. They have a first, uh, second contact mission, and they fuck up, and the species attacks them. Oh, this is fucking double fist punch heaven. Yes, which is another great reference of the Captain Kirk is the, like, put your two hands together into a ball and double fist punch people. And it's a really terrible combat technique for the most part. (laughs) But Kirk used it to great effect. And, and so does Ransom. And so does Ransom here. We get another examples of where... We get examples of where Ransom is a good and bad officer. Because, like, he He's clearly thinks, terrible. He deserves to be first officer. But he keeps looking for his Riker moment where he can, like, make a big speech and make everyone start to listen to him or whatever. Uh, it does do a lot... It does do a lot to make him more interesting. And it does... He picks up a, like, flirty enemy relationship with Beckett here, which Mm -hmm. I enjoyed. It was predictable, but I enjoyed it. Uh, So, make a case to me. Why is Chief O'Brien possibly the most important person in Starfleet (laughs) history? Okay, so what they're actively doing is making fun of everything there. And there's a webcomic called Chief O'Brien at Work that is the same four panels of O'Brien just standing alone in the transport room uh, while everything happens around him and, like, people calling in. Being like, <laughs> whoops, sorry, meant to do something else. I'll just take care of it myself. Uh, O'Brien was interesting in Deep, Deep Space Nine when they introduced him because it turns out he's not a Starfleet officer. He's non-commissioned. He's just a crewman. He reaches the rank of chief petty officer, which is kind of like a sergeant, I guess. Mm -hmm. But he hangs out with all of the authority. Um, But he does end up as chief uh, chief engineering officer 
on Deep Space Nine, which becomes the most important place in Federation territory. Mm. Because of a bunch of stuff happening in that series, most importantly, the Bajoran wormhole. Okay. Which leads to a completely different side of the galaxy. A war ends up happening. It's a whole Deep Space Nine thing. Uh, He is wonderfully brilliant because he is one... uh, He's the real-world person in Starfleet. Oh, okay. Like, everyone else is, you know, generally lived a pretty idyllic life, gone through Starfleet, yada, yada. He's just a dude. He doesn't have the amazing, perfect human ethics that everyone else is trying to have. He tries. Like, he's a he's a good person, but uh, he's not as high-minded as Picard, and he's super willing. Like, if he needs to punch someone, he'll punch someone if he has to. He's also a family man, which we don't usually see. He's got a mm. wife. He's got a kids. A kids. He's a got kids. Um, marital problems that come from, you know, being married to someone who's basically in the military. Like, they get transferred, and Keiko's not happy about it for obvious reasons, because Deep Space Nine's not a great place to raise a kid. <laughs> um, it's It does sometimes make some of the decisions he makes feel a lot shittier today. Mm-hmm. 25 years after this show came out because as a society we've advanced, but even though he's still much more like he is today, why he's the most important person in Starfleet history. He's not, but I think he's an important character. Could you make a case for it? Could you think of any, any, any incident where you're like, could I argue this? At least once he's prevented the collapse, the entire collapse of the Federation. Okay. I think a I mean, couple of times. that's pretty important. <laughs> uh, he, his biggest claim was probably he was part of the crew that mined the wormhole. So mm-hmm. the, a war starting, but the fleet is like, the, the main enemy is on the other side of the wormhole. So there's only one way they can come through. They've managed to get an army through and they've teamed up with like some people in the Alpha Quadrant, but they have armies and armies and armies, just Thousands of ships on the other side of the wormhole. And if they get through, Federation's done. Klingons are done. There's just, they don't have the numbers to face off against the Dominion. He is one of the people that figures out how to mine the wormhole so those species, so the Dominion can't get through and the they can fight, you know, the people that have got here, which is already, like, equal to them. Yeah. It's, it's enough. Mm-hmm. But even then, he's not the main guy in that. He's like, as I said, one of a team of three. Okay. And the one that kind of does the least of the three. But still, uh, the main thing whenever I think about like big O'Brien stories is there is a O'Brien must suffer story in every season of Deep Space Nine. Mm. Horrific fucking things happen to him. Uh, he is put in a mental prison for two years. So like two years of solitary confinement, basically oh, that's are nice. inserted into his head and the trauma of dealing with that. And then they make it more fucked up by putting an imaginary cellmate in there mm. that he goes mad and murders at one point in a moment of like, they're both starving to death. Oh shit. And the entire episode is O'Brien dealing with that trauma out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, it's insane. Uh, his daughter is thrown through time and becomes like a feral cave girl. And suddenly he has like, goes from a five-year-old daughter to a like 
16-year-old feral cave girl as a daughter. He gets forced into undercover work with, like, trying to take down the mob. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets kidnapped by the mob more than once because of that. Damn. He has a big career, but if I'm thinking most important one, nah. it's not a brand. That's just them being jackasses. Uh, episode four, uh, Cerritos is part of a joint mission towing a disabled generation ship, terraforming materials. This is the one where uh, the captain re- is really trying to get rid of Mariner. It starts off by giving her all the shittiest jobs and, and then promotes it. her. And she hates it. This and Tendi is attending the Ascension, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so the B story, I guess, first... It's nothing too exciting. It made me more think of Stargate with, like, humans ascending to a higher plane. Mm-hmm. The I am I don't know if it's a Discworld joke or what, but when the guy does ascend, he go he starts yelling about the world sits on the back of a giant koala. Look at him. What does he know? Look, at, He's just smiling. What does he know? Uh, I, that just makes me think of Great Atuin from Discworld. Although when he starts glowing in the air and the like blue crackling light around him and he says, I see everything, I know everything, that is straight out of Highlander. Oh. That's what the original Quickening looked like. Mm -hmm. This is the one where she's obsessed. She needs everyone to like her. So after she fucks up his attempt at ascension, she spends the rest of her time trying to make up to him. It was funny. It was a nice little bit of character growth for Tendi, but as a plot, it was there the part of me that loves dark comedy loved the fact that the ascension was super fucking painful and he seemed to hate every second of it yes as i said it was very funny um or like he she fucks up his sand mandala and she just like desperately starts replicating sand and trying to throw it into a pile and being like it's the same thing like no oh no i also like that his ascension was basically because of fake it till you make it yeah there, we got to see some cool special effects, not really special effects because it was animated, but we got to see stuff the original Star Trek would have loved to do but couldn't because mm-hmm. funding. Because a thing is taking over the ship and turning it into like rocks and plants and shit. It's cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, um, from the A plot of that, it does have my favorite Easter egg, I think, so far. Oh, okay. When it, it's small and it's weird that I, like, this is the one that made me really happy. But when she gets promoted to lieutenant, she's given a yellow uniform, which is a reference to both Geordi and Worf, who wore red uniforms in the first season of Next Gen, but were both promoted to uh, chief engineer and chief of security, respectively. So they both transferred into the yellow uniforms. Mm. So that was making allusions to Geordi being like, I'm ranking higher now, but I'm no longer in command structure. Mm, I gotcha. Um, I, something felt a little bit shitty about the food replicator choices being tied to rank. Yep. There's absolutely the fact that, because part of the reason Bradford wants to get promoted is so he can get the access to the better food replicators. It doesn't fit with the... Uh, utopia socialism setup of Starfleet, but it was kind of funny as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's one of those that Starfleet has never been overly concerned with internal consistency, which is funny because the fans are obsessed with it. So as long as you take it in that same vein, sure, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> It's another good one for Beckett. We get to see her with her mother. 
I do appreciate that it is called out that her mother is being super shitty and this is super beneath the position of captain to try and, like, force someone off your ship super passive-aggressively. Uh, I enjoyed that uh, this confirmed... This episode confirms that the holodeck has a jizz filter. Yeah. <laughs> this is a jizz filter, which is super gross. Uh, we all knew it's it. It's mostly we just used for that. <laughs> we didn't want to talk about it. And they were careful not to directly be like, it's a fuck machine. Although... They've openly designed the holodeck to be a fuck machine in Voyager. <laughs> Did they like, really? Like, it was a plot line. So there's a Vulcan thing called Ponfar. They have to make okay. once every seven years or they will die. Gotcha. Okay. Because they've been suppressing so much emotion and uh, as a species that is just loaded with fucking, like, as a species loaded with endorphins and hormones. Mm -hmm. That if they don't have that release for the Ponfar, they'll lose their fucking mind. But Tuvok is the uh, Vulcan officer on Voyager who is trapped 75 years away from everything. And his wife is not with him. And he's like, I will not cheat on my wife. Like, will not do it. And even so, we don't really have anyone else that I could sleep with. Like, it would be mm -hmm. crazy inappropriate for me to sleep with someone who's lower rank than me. And I'm definitely not going to, like, the captain is just about it on the other side. And no. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's definitely not what's going on. So he's just, the entire episode is him just trying to suppress it. And slowly, like, going mad and almost killing some people because he got irritated about something. Mm. Like, Vulcans are hella emotional, which is part of the reason why they're like, no, tamp that shit down. Mm. And eventually they come up with the obvious answer of they make a hologram version of his wife and they're like, we'll see you later. Have fun. <laughs> I don't think it works, but still like it was straight up. Like was the plot of this Tuvok fucks the hologram. Jizz filter. Also Riker fell in love with a hologram. There is no way. Oh, Riker definitely boned the hologram. I mean, he might not have because there was not much time. And he Picard was around did. for most of it. But, like, there's a good chance that, like, Picard wandered off. And he's like, Minuet, let's go. I, I'm, I'm positive Riker has the capability of being a selfish lover enough to, also, <laughs> to have made it work. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. On that Voyager episode I mentioned, there is some consent issues of making a hologram of someone and having sex with them. Like, this is the closest I could come to not cheating on my wife while simultaneously not losing my mind. Okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah. But, like, and it, it's brought up a couple of times where it's, people have holograms made of them, and they're like, whoa, that's super not okay. And There's some ethical questions about the hologram, really. Uh, Orville did a really weird and interesting and uncomfortable episode about a guy that basically gets addicted to porn on the holodeck. Mm -hmm. And it's a really uncomfortable episode, though kind of funny in some scenes. The, what do we got? Fifth episode is Boimler's girlfriend <laughs> and Rutherford and Tendy going over to the Vancouver. It's a funny episode it's the one that sticks out the least for me i thought it felt kind of we've seen 
it's it's a variation of an episode we've seen on everything, which that's the clever part is they're doing it. Barb really isn't an alien. Fucking dude just has a parasite. The idea is this character, like we meet Brad's girlfriend and she's on one of the best ships in the fleet and she's a lieutenant and she's impossibly hot. And they're like, this is way too good to be true. And the rule is on Star Trek relationships, if it's too good to be true, it almost certainly is. Uh, there's a lot of really good Easter eggs in this one of like she's uh, Mariner has her board of like conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. All of those are species from previous episodes of the series that are on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that they mention, ranging from like assault. Mon- she's secretly a salt monster. That's from the very first Kirk episode ever made. Okay. Uh, where salt vampires that make themselves look like beautiful women. Oh, shit. Okay. What's it like? They're- Surgically altered Cardassian. Yeah, that actually happens. Oh, shit. Okay. That's Seska uh, from Voyager, who was Chakotay's girlfriend. Chakotay being the first officer. I wish I would have written down more of them. They were kind of funny as they were going through. Just all the possible things could be any, pretty much any time she mentions like, I've done this thing or this thing has happened. That's because it actually has happened. In the first episode, she mentions, um, I had to fight a Yeti for a pair of shoes. Not for any reason. He was just being a dick. Mm -hmm. Uh, In one episode, in a Klingon prison planet, in one movie, Kirk is sent to a Klingon prison planet and has to fight what's basically a large Yeti. Because the Yeti wants his jacket, even though he is clearly like four times too big to wear Kirk's jacket here. That's amazing. When I say this show does deep cuts, it does deep fucking cuts. This episode and the next one is where they really start to lean a lot more into the like the will they won't they of Rutherford and and Tendi. I find myself not caring whether they do or not because I enjoy them as just a strong male-female friendship because we don't get enough of that in fiction. Mm-hmm. But they have a good chemistry that would let me see them being romantic, so I don't have a problem either way. I feel like they're going to go romantic because I don't think they're going to go romantic with uh, Mariner and... No, and Boimler. And Boimler. And they shouldn't. They absolutely should not. No. Uh, so I have no problems with them going romantic here. They do have a kind of cutesy younger version of almost like Riker Troy going on, Mm. which I like Riker Troy. So great. I wondered if maybe, uh, episode five, because then you also have what's happening up on the bridge with the captain and they're having the dispute over what planet to destroy until they find out that the one planet's the civilization's only two people. Yeah. Because they're uh, rich. They're... I was wondering if maybe that was a commentary on the fact that New Generation did tend towards the philosophical. Yeah, there's a lot of the philosophical in the 90s. Uh, his, like, if you do this, we'll be murderers. We have to find a solution. But it also does reference a few specific episodes in it. Mm, okay. There is an episode of from a completely different perspective of one of Bajor's moons is going to be turned into some kind of energy plant. Some some kind of thing that will make it uninhabitable, but it will provide power to almost everyone on Bajor, which they haven't had. They were occupied by the Cardassians. Bajor had a rough fucking time. They were space Tibet in the 90s. 
Although Tibet still has the shit going on now. And there's one old guy living on the planet and he refuses to leave because this is his home. And there is the ethical conundrum of like, people need this power. People need this thing. But do we have the right to force this guy to move? Mm-hmm. Like, can't, what, what do we do on this front? It felt a lot like that. Although instead of like being a nice old man who's being difficult, but like has a legit point that like that's his moon. Yeah. Um, it's just the shitty rich people. <laughs> it's 2020. I will laugh at shitty rich people getting their comeuppance every time. It's just the two of us. No, like... we just redid the kitchen. <laughs> like, oh, fuck you, man. Oh, man. The only other thing that really stood out to the episode to me was just something like literally personally like a little. I loved the little detail of the uh, the engineer on the Vancouver wanting to transfer to the Cerritos because everything was too epic over there. Which makes sense. What distracted me is I'm pretty sure the guy who voiced that engineer was the gay cop from Reno 911. And I could not stop thinking about that. Thomas Lennon is who I think it is. Now I'm doubting myself. Well, it wasn't Thomas Lennon, but I'm having a hard time figuring out who it was. Some of these people are just credited as voices, and one of them, it's got to be one of them. Oh, well. I mean, so I kept being distracted on who I thought it was then. Um, it is good to have a good joke of having people who are too overloaded of all the weird shit. You know, going back in time and killing someone worse than Hitler. I don't have a specific one for that, but there's been a whole lot of like, go back in time. Oh, shit, we have to stop this thing. Well, I just thought it was really fun. All right, so weird tangent. Yeah. But I thought it was super funny just because I hardly ever try to write anything. But there's been a couple times I have. One time I had an idea coming down off of an acid trip, and I started writing an ambush bug script where he was freaking out because he started running into D-list Batman enemies, and he wanted to live a more obscure life than that. (laughs) that's actually pretty good I like that I'd read that anyway I want them to notice me Um, (laughs) it'd be a good Deadpool one too but I think Ambush Bug is better for it Uh, he ran into like Zelda the Great who was only from like an episode of the Batman 66 series like perfect Um, this one is another one where we see a these people steal shit constantly They both end up stealing a ton of, they're called the T-88s, and they're basically magic fix-it thingy for that. They're they're like a tricorder, but better. Way Uh, better. They're new. And Yeah, they get a shit ton of them. They steal like two duffel bags full, and they blackmail a Starfleet officer, and it does kind of bring up, we get signs that, you know, when they're not Captain Picard being all hoity-toity, I love Picard, but being all hoity-toity about things, there is, you know, contraband and all sorts of normal people things that happen Mm -hmm. on Starfleet vessels still. They're not all as perfect as Picard aims to be. Although even Picard is like, yep, I bought this booze. I snuck it on board. Or like, Romulan, they they talk about how Romulan ale should be illegal, like, all the fucking time. And it is. 
Which is, you know... Uh, no, it's illegal because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but every Starfleet officer has drunk Romulan ale. So there is definitely still that, like, okay, there's still people. Mm-hmm. Did I already mention what episode six was? I don't remember. Episode six. Oh, yeah. Oh, six was kind of fun because I liked... I kind of liked Rutherford and Tendi having to save themselves on the holodeck. This one, I mean... It is basically a guarantee of Star Trek of if they have a holodeck, they will eventually be trapped on it and someone will try and murder them. Deep Space Nine did a great James Bond episode with it that's just amazing. The fact uh, that it was essentially clippy had me fucking rolling. Yeah, uh, a holodeck man goes mad and tries to murder, um, which references several things that have happened. They... When he was going like, oh, the holodeck isn't just for meeting Robin Hood and Sherlock Holmes and blah, blah, blah. It was all references. They meet an evil Moriarty that, mm -hmm. like, gains awareness. Uh, Robin Hood isn't a holodeck episode, but a Q episode where they're forced to live out Robin Hood. Uh, there's a reference to one of the characters from Three Musketeers who is they have in another holodeck episode. Mm -hmm. This is another one that is just... Filled the gills with small references like that. Also, Clippy, the or Badgie, the Starfleet equivalent of Clippy. Even the guy that plugs a computer into his brain is a reference towards an episode of Star Trek where... Oh fuck, who is it? Barclay. The guy who was also in the A-Team. There is a side character. You might not have seen him. He's only in like five or six episodes. Okay. Of In Next Gen and a few episodes of Voyager named Lieutenant Barclay. And he is just filled to the fucking gills with anxiety and social awkwardness and depression and fear of fucking everything who has somehow made it into Starfleet because he's brilliant, but he has none, none of the people skills. Oh, yeah. He was Murdoch. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he was played by the A-team. And I don't think of, oh, he was Murdoch. I go, oh, Murdoch was Barkley, because the one I grew up watching. But okay. Barkley accidentally gets a computer plugged into his head, or purposely. Barkley gets a computer plugged into his head and starts to merge with the ship and turn evil. So that was kind of a reference towards that. I think that, I've seen that one, actually. Except in this one, it mm. was just, that dude sucks. Uh, I do enjoy, and they mention it in it, I do enjoy seeing uh, Brad and... Mariner mm -hmm. working together. Because dude turned out to suck. It, it, that we, everyone thought he was cool at first. Dude sucked. We've all met that guy. Yeah. You're like, you're real cool. And then you're like, oh no. Oh, oh no. Oh, you are awful once we get to know you at all. I, I liked it, though, because they are a good team. And it makes sense that once he calms down enough to like be okay with breaking the occasional rule... Mm -hmm. And when she focuses it up enough to like, no, we need to get stuff done. They pair very strongly. Yeah. Um, that's the six episodes that are out so mm -hmm. far. We went we said a little bit about each one of them. Yeah. And it's always hard to talk about these because how much do you want to go into a thing? The well, in comedies, not too much. comedies, especially because you don't want to just hear and repeat all the jokes either. Yeah. With, I mean, with men at arms, we were able to get into ethical debates and, calling out Terry Pratchett for being a white British rich guy. <laughs> um, 
but it's nice to do these where we can just talk about. Man, this was just really fun. We should just yeah. uh, we should enjoy it was this. A good time. People should watch these. Um, that's the theme of this episode. Just have some fun. And I'm excited. There's still four more episodes in the season. Bummed there's only four. I mean, I'm. At least it doesn't end where we're at. Yep. And I'm gonna get into Star Trek Disco launches soon, and I'm really excited for the third season. It looks really good. Nice. Uh, but this is the Star Trek. For everyone who complains that the new Star Treks don't feel like Star Trek, Disco and Picard, mm-hmm. in the same way that people complained about Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager not feeling like classic Star Trek, this one feels like 90s Star Trek. Like, visually. Yeah, it does. Uh, some of the story plots that they come up with from a completely different angle, but that's fine. That's what you want to have. How, being a big Star Trek fan, how do you feel about the fact that this is canon i wouldn't care about it if it wasn't canon and i'm not generally a devotee to canon but the fact that this is canon me has grown the world of star trek in a lot of ways that i really like because some of the best trek is when people when it's not we have become enlightened as a people it's we are better than we were and we're still trying but we're a damn sight closer than we used to be Hmm. um and we get more realistic people in it. And because they, it's, it's canon, it keeps them from going too absolutely insane. I think if they weren't trying to stick it in the world of Star Trek, it'd be too easy to go off the wall and just basically become like a sketch show. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, this is Star Trek. It's just funny Star Trek. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I think I've said about all I can I think of today for Lower Decks. Give it a shot. I'm sure there are other ways to find it if you don't have CBS All Access. <laughs> I would never talk about that. I mean, I don't know. They had some on YouTube for free at one point. I don't know if they still do. Um, right. I don't know either. I'm probably going to buy it on DVD when it comes out, and I don't do that anymore. Nice. Uh, it's worth your time. That's it. Agreed. Uh, what recommendations do you have for the week? I'm going to go with, I just have one, and it's just a small one today, 40 Ounce Collected by Jim Mafood. Okay. Jim Mafood is not a huge name in comic books, but he tends to make very good work. And 40 Ounce Collected is obviously just him hand-drawing and inking his comics on one page. There's no real computer work on it. There's no other colorist and no other inker or, or letterer. Like, he's clearly just drawing it on the page. And it ranges from short storylines to one-page random things. It's just him making. Mm-hmm. And that means that some of them are really good and some of them are eh. Yeah. None of them are, like, really bad. But it is one of those things where you can watch an artist get better as they just practice. But you're seeing the practice. It's kind of like seeing uh, the way that Donald Glover, when he was releasing a whole lot of rap was just releasing anything he made. Good, Mm -hmm. bad, whatever. It was just all going out there. And so you get to watch the artist grow, which is something that I appreciate. It's not polished, but it's not trying to be. Nice. I like that. Ooh, me this week. How about this week? My recommendation is... I guess it was based on a manga, but I've never read it, so I'm going to go with the animated series Afro Samurai. Oh, that was based on a manga? I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently it was based on a manga. 
I was doing a little bit of research on it the other day because I was recommending it to a friend anyway, which is why it's my recommendation today. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great way of picking recommendations. Um, I have seen bits of it. I know I've seen the movie, I want to say. Right, there was a five-episode series that did win an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Animation. And, and then, it's gorgeous. It deserves it. And then they fell, followed up with the movie. It is Sam Jackson as Afro Samurai uh, in a revenge story where he's hunting down Ron Perlman, who's a gunslinger named Justice. Uh, it's a little bit like the world's a little bit more interesting than that. Justice killed his father and became the owner of the number one headband, which... People aren't sure what kind of power it grants, but it definitely grants people power, and most people say that it grants the person the power of a god. But only the person with the number two headband can challenge the number one headband. Afro has got himself, and anybody can challenge the number two headband. And so, he's got it. So Afro has the number two. It's set in a world that is feudal futuristic, where people are living in huts and being drawn by horses and a robot might walk down the street next to them. It's an anime style that I've always really enjoyed. And I think anime does it better than just about anyone else. Agreed. Uh, Vampire Hunter D is another excellent example of that style. Mm -hmm. um, I have, as I said, I've not watched much Afro Samurai. I always liked what I watched. It just came out right when I was not watching much anime anymore. And in high school, I watched nothing but anime and I read nothing but manga for like three years and I got so burned out on it that it is over 10 years later and I am just now starting to explore anime and manga again. Right. Uh, it's always been on my list along with Samurai Champloo. They both do Samurai hip hop basically, which is part of the reason why I've been meaning to check them out and why I always associate them together. I, I believe the soundtrack for Afro Samurai was done by the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. That sounds about right. It was one of these that, like... Which I love the RZA. The fucking nerds who are really cool were, got the idea for this anime and got... Um, I mean, they got Samuel L. Jackson. He did go through a period where he was having fun doing some voice acting. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah. The RZA did the soundtrack for the, the series and the movie. Fucking love the RZA. RZA loves kung fu movies. RZA loves samurai movies. So whenever he's involved with something, it sounds weirdly legit for being hip hop. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, it is. If you like black exploitation movies, if you like samurai stuff, if you like anime, mix all three together to a very strange baby and let Samuel L. Jackson voice act that baby. As two two different characters. As two different characters. Afro and Ninja Ninja. Ninja Ninja is awesome too. Um, yeah, that's my that's my recommendation. Afro Samurai, love that shit. Nice and simple. Um, we do we know what we're doing next week? We do not. We're gonna have to go figure that out. It's a surprise. <laughs> uh, but in order to listen to whatever we grace you with next week, please hit subscribe. <laughs> however you're listening right now, that'd be super cool. Also, if you could rate and review however you're listening right now, that'd be even cooler because the world is ran on algorithms and we want to be in those algorithms so people can listen to our stuff. Um, always, You can always go check out our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, check out our entire back catalog there. Uh, contact us through the website or by emailing us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. 
And while you're over at our website, if you click the links up at the top, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Go check out the other shows over on the site. Listen to me talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirms. Zach? You can listen to me and my buddy Malark talk about war and war gaming and war treatises over on The Art of Wargaming. Uh, and more shit to come. Things that we've already previewed for you. Go yeah. listen to our back episodes. Thanks you'll, for recording hear this it. week, probably. That's right. Find us General Nerdery across all the social medias. Please follow us there as we start to use them more and more. And we love you. Yeah. It's pretty honest. Oh, man. It, it's a commercial for Netflix, so I don't... Eh. But it's just 30 seconds of Chris Hemsworth being like, you can do this. I believe in you. You're smart and people like you. You make me want to be a better man. And I'm not a huge Chris Hemsworth fan. Like, I enjoy him. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, yeah, I am Chris Hemsworth. I needed this today. It's like the more wholesome version of the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Do not hump the hologram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please do not stick your dick in the hologram. It's not designed for that. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I mean, the holodeck has jizz filters. We oh found that out. God. That's canon. In the meantime, <laughs> we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.